Tornadoes. Kingway Fox's beard look is acting very weird Captain Pike, Disco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Cedar's cat, Kempak's cat, Q is sad, enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, March 30th, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Welcome to episode 522 of Trek talking, and all I got to say is, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead, because that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to be talking about Star Trek Picard, episode six, The Bounty, which is last week's episode, and we do that because a lot of people don't get to see the episode until Friday, and we want all of our Star Trek family to be included in our discussion, which means you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek talking right now. At 646-668-2433. But before we get into too much Trek talking, I want to go around and introduce my awesome Trek experts. And let's start out tonight with our very own Charles, who's out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing what I rather was. It's been another cold week, blistery week, rainy. I hear real. We might, see, we might have spring over the weekend, but just that would be nice. But only the weekend. That would be then nice. Then back cold again the following day, the uh, Monday morning. Well, what's cold for you though, Charles? What is that like? Forty something degrees? Forties, fifties. Oh yeah, there we go. Maybe sixties. We're supposed to be in the fifties right now. Oof. And I've seen one seventy days so far this year. Man, we're we're in the pool when it gets that hot. <laughs> we're hitting the pool. <laughs> Taking off the shirt. <laughs> They're talking about the fact that April is pool weather in Vegas, and the problem is people don't want to open pools right now. It's too cold. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, I'd I'd be there. I'd be in the pool. <laughs> um, we actually had snow this morning. It was oh, just crazy. And uh, we opened camp soon, and we still got snow. Right, go figure. At any rate, I also want to swing over to our Portland trifecta, and we'll start off with David, who's feeling a little bit under the weather, but much better now that we're here. Trek talking. How you doing, David? Uh, I'm pretty tired. It's been raining here too, off and on. In fact, my window is completely covered with water. Wow. All right, well, it's just really raining over here, apparently. Kind of gloomy all week. Well, thank God we have Star Trek to talk about, right? 
<laughs> Got a lot of news. And we also have, hailing from Portland as well, our very own Paul the Wine slash Toy Guy. How you doing today, Paul? E plebnista, my friend. E plebnista. So I am doing well. I'm doing okay. It's been a long week, long couple weeks, but uh, it's good to be in the saddle for uh, an exciting evening of uh, Trek du Jour. Excited to it's chat. Gonna, it's going to be fun. we got a lot to talk about. And rounding out my plethora of truck spurts, we have our very own Eric, who also hails from, you guessed it, Portland. How you doing, Eric? I am doing really good. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good Trek energy here in Portland, Oregon. What can I say? And uh, this week I'm particularly excited. We get, we get to celebrate in our remembrances one of my favorite Star Trek writers of all time. That's your teaser, Oh yeah, we've got some we've got some really really good birthdays uh, this week as well. So they're coming up very soon. But before we do that, we do have a little bit of housekeeping we have to take care of. And the first one is uh, we have to play this awesome promo, which uh, our very own Eric was good enough to put together for us uh, for Strange New Worlds. Season 1 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is now on Blu-ray, DVD, and limited edition Blu-ray Steelbook. Experience every episode like never before with over 100 minutes of special features, including exclusive cast and crew interviews, a gag reel, deleted scenes, and more. Own the Emmy-nominated first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds from CBS and Paramount Home Entertainment today. Limited edition 4K UHD Steelbook available for pre-order now. Absolutely, and hope uh, hopefully we'll have maybe a copy or two to give away to some lucky listener. Just stick around and see. I'm just waiting for some stuff to arrive in the mail. At any rate, that's strange new worlds. But there's one more thing we need to talk about. We have a special birthday in uh, this week's birthdays and it's a lady that I am going to be on stage interviewing at Trek Long Island and I'm talking about the awesome Bonnie Gordon who does the voice of the well I guess not anymore well maybe we'll see uh, she's on Prodigy she was the voice of the USS Protostar uh, so I don't know what she's going to be doing now that they don't have the Protostar but I'm sure that she'll let us know at Trek Long Island and uh, you can meet me and several other awesome podcasters and a plethora of Star Trek actors all at Trek Long Island. And just to wet your whistle a little bit, here's another promo that our very own Eric put together for us. Trek Talking would like to invite you to attend Trek Long Island at the Hyatt Regency Long Island Hotel in beautiful Hopog, New York on May 20th and 21st, 2023. Trek Long Island will have a variety of guests, ranging from the original series to Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, and beyond. Doug Jones, David Ajala, Oded Fayer, Franz Nguyen, Issa Briones, Evan Evagora, Raven Dauda, Sandy Gimple, Tanya Lamani, and Fumsil Satoli are just a few of the guests currently scheduled, with more to come. Enjoy interacting with celebrities at guest panels or snag a photo op or autograph from your favorite actor. Craving the real stuff? 
Sit in on science panels with real scientists from NASA and accredited professionals in a variety of scientific fields. Or take in a panel where we discuss how Trek's influence on diversity and inclusion has affected Trek fans and the rest of the real world. Love podcasts? We do too. Meet the people behind the voices from Trek Talking, The Sci-Fi Sisters, Strange New Pod, Women at Warp, Roy's Tie-Dye Sci-Fi Corner, and more. Don't forget to visit the vendor room, where you will find exhibitors and authors, and where you can pick up an exclusive offering from Mego Toys. Purchase a general admission ticket or upgrade to the Q-Pass, which offers you preferred seating, early access admission to a VIP dinner and show with actress Bonnie Gordon, and more. Trek Long Island is a family-friendly event with many programs and activities, so bring the little tribbles with you. Let's beam Trek back to the East Coast with a bang. Just visit treklongisland.com for updates and to buy your tickets. We will see you out there. Engage. I'm really looking forward to meeting Roy myself. Um, So... I, I'm I'm psyched about that. Best um, podcast you, name ever. Uh, I mean, I, behind Trek talking, of course. Second well, I, best, I guess I should say. Oh, sorry about the about the name. You guys remember when Discovery first came out and they had um, uh, uh, not the Ready Room. I can't believe I don't remember the name. But after oh, Trek. After Trek. After yeah. Trek. Had After Trek. And the talk for for the longest while was they were it was going to be called Trek Talking because they had the Talking Dead, and I was like, wow, they take the name Trek Talking, are they going to have to buy it from me, or am I going to lose it? What's going to happen? And of course, they didn't go with that, so they went with After Trek. But it would have they been were cool. too intimidated. They knew the price would be too high, Jim. That's right. I want a Batleth and a Klingon head. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> So at any rate, that's my little my little story. But I do want to say that if you wanted to find out information about either Strange New Worlds coming out on Blu-ray or maybe how to get tickets to Trek Long Island, Paul, what would be the quickest, easiest, best, fastest, most informative way to get that information right at your fingertips? Well, if it were me, Jim, uh, what I would do is I would take my phone and I would open it up to uh, the Trek Talking Facebook page and I would attach it to my face like some kind of invading parasite (laughs) and made sure that it was adhering to the fleshy part of my cheek in a way that was indelible that could never be removed. But most people aren't like me. Most people want a simpler, less invasive method of communication. So I would recommend that those folks simply visit trektalking.com and that way you'll be able to get everything that you want a lot less... uh, uh, intrusively, if you know what I'm saying. That's right. It's all there at your fingertips. Talking.com. I'll say it again one more time. Trektalking.com. All right, guys. Well, we've, we, we've just uh, getting ready to dive in, but there is one more thing I need to talk about. And we don't do Star Trek news anymore because we don't have time with the full one-hour episode to talk about. Uh, we just don't have time for the Comic Corner or for Star Trek news, unfortunately. But, but we do have some tonight. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. 
Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. Black alert. Black alert. All right, guys, we have some breaking news. Uh, first of all, Strange New Worlds will get a 10-episode second season that will air on June 15th. That's right, June 15th. We're going to see 10 brand-new episodes of Strange New Worlds, and they renewed it for a third season. So there will be at least 20 more episodes of Strange New Worlds. Woo! Sounds amazing. I mean, that's what we need is that is everybody's favorite new series, I think. Like, if you talk to, I don't know what the ratio would be, but I would guess 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 Trek fans say that's their new favorite series. I don't know. It's pretty popular. It's up there. It's definitely up there. But wait, there's more. Lower Decks. Yes, there's (gasps) more. Lower Decks. Episodes 4 will air at the end of the summer. With a ten episode fifth season ordered, dun dun dun. So that's right. Twenty more episodes of Lower Decks will be ours to enjoy. Uh, they didn't give us a date other than end of summer. Okay, so September? No, maybe. Yeah. All right. Oh, wait, end of there's, fall. There's, there's, yeah, there's yeah. End of, end of summer, early fall. I agree with Charles. Anything that says end of summer really means either optimistically beginning of fall, but probably end of fall <laughs> at a minimum. Well, I'm thinking well, that, well, see, that brings us up to our next bit of news, because Star Trek Prodigy Season 2 will also air this winter. Which is more so, episodes, right, Jim? I, is that like 20 or 26 or something? Well, How many episodes is that? Prodigy does 20 episodes. Right, yeah. yeah. Break it up. Well, you know, here's the thing, though, guys. Is, as we're learning here in Oregon, that winter stretches all the way to May. So That's uh, true. So who knows when, so this, who knows when <laughs> that's going to air. Winter could be any time. <laughs> yeah. Winter's coming. That's all, that's all we got to know. Yeah. Winter is coming. <laughs> but, but, guys... That's not all. There is more. Uh, they yep. just announced that Star Trek, Starfleet Academy, has been confirmed and will begin production in 2024. Hell yeah. Which, coincidentally, yeah. is the ending of Star Trek Discovery, which brings me to the fact that I'm pretty sure that we are going to see Tilly and her cadets in Starfleet Academy. They set that up in Discovery. They pulled her off the show for a little while and then brought her back at the end. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see Star Trek Discovery, um, Starfleet Academy, finally. So Starfleet Academy is our first Discovery spinoff is what you're saying. That's that's what I'm thinking. I, yeah. You yeah. Know, a lot of fans are, are just complaining that they want to stay in the Picard time era, but I don't think they're going to because they've invested a lot of money in Discovery, they got they have all these sets, all these things, and plus they already introduced Tilly and the Academy and set that all up with with the Archer Station and all that stuff. I think that's where it's going to be. I, I could be wrong, but I think I mean, that's where they're going. Like from from a purely aesthetic standpoint, I think that's pretty exciting because 
uh, although I the aesthetic of Picard, I, I personally love the look of the Titan. I think the lighting on the show is kind of like way too dark, but that's probably because I have kind of a crappy TV, so it would probably be better if I had a better TV. But the discovery, that whole 32nd century discovery had a lightness to it that I found really refreshing. So I don't know. I'm excited to see more of that just like visually. Well, and, and uh, not official, oh, but um, I was trying to dig up some information about Starfleet Academy that I could share with you guys. And I couldn't really find anything other than the official release, which doesn't say anything really. But I did find some information that uh, from an unofficial source that said that um, uh, Section 31 is going to come out right after um, Starfleet Academy is going to be a mini-series with Michelle Yeoh, a mini-series. So 10 episodes constitutes a full season. So a mini-series, what, three episodes? You know, I'm not sure. You know, I think that could work. Three, like, uh, 50-minute episodes or something. I could see that. A mini-series. And then – you got to put all this information together. I was reading another interview with Kurtzman who turned around and said that, you remember when they did the short treks back in season season two? Tried that. And I personally, I really enjoyed the short treks because they, they did a lot of different things. And so Kurtzman actually said that they were going to be doing more mini series Mm-hmm. And that they've been thinking about direct to video movies. So take that. Wait, what does that what, even mean? What does direct to video movie mean in the streaming era? Well, that would be like when, like uh, when Wonder Woman came out and they put it right on on television. <laughs> right. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Instead of the theater, right, right, right. Instead of the theater, right. Yeah. So because uh, I'm, and I don't know how that would work. And the reason why I mention that is because Paramount has a B division and Paramount has a TV division. And for the longest time, they were separate, but I think they're back together again. Didn't they merge back again? Everybody's back together now. So (laughs) if they were to make Star Trek movies again, they wouldn't necessarily have to put them in the theater. They could put them right on Paramount Plus. So those are the only tidbits of information I was able to dig up for you guys. Cool. Theories and conjecture, that's what you get here sometimes. We'll see what happens with it, but Kurtzman did say that, so which brings me back to Steady Alpha 5. You guys recall, we we talked about that a long time ago. How they hired Nicholas Myers to write that 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 movie and then they didn't use it because it was only three episodes and it was too short. Well, if person is saying about doing any series and no tackling talking. different characters, we could very well see that uh, on the line. So, so I Star mean, Trek a lot, phase. You know. So Star Trek Phase Four is mini series, is what we're thinking. I like well, that actually. It's kind of like a new was... flavor, you know, because it's it's sort of a hybrid between those short treks and the full ten episode arc. I gotta tell you, like the ten episode arc is pretty interesting, but to me, it's almost like a little too long for one story and a little too short for anything else. So it's you know, 
I'm interested in things that are like three to six episodes long personally. Well, it's perfect for sitting down to stream. You know, you want to binge three episodes done. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna, we'll have to wait and see what, what they do with that. But that's all the news I have. And I'm sure we are going to be doing a special Star Trek Day um, episode on Monday after Star Trek Day. And I'm sure that they'll have more information, maybe drop some trailers uh, for some of this stuff. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. But that's all I've got for breaking news uh, for tonight anyways. Uh, so now we're going to dive back into our, our regularly scheduled program, which is already in progress. Once again, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and we're about to do fan shout-outs. And uh, the easiest way to get your name mentioned in a fan shout-out, Eric, would be how? Uh, well, I would just personally go to trektalking.com. It's right there available to you on any device that can access the Internet. And down in that uh, lower right-hand corner, if I remember right, there's a button where you can record a little message to us. Or or you can simply just click on the button that has the big F, which is our Facebook page. And you can go to our Facebook page, and you can like us and uh, you know interact with us there. And, and Jim may or may not choose you to be on the – the shout out list it's pretty cool man uh you should come and talk to us because we do like to talk to people on our facebook page absolutely and if you see a heart next to your name from yours truly uncle jim then you definitely want to tune into the next podcast because you are going to be immortalized for all of eternity as not only a trek talking fan but part of the star trek family and everybody will know so, Eric, are we ready to have And I'll just uh, throw, throw a little hint out there, too, fans. If you want to make sure you get that Jim picks you, I, I think Jim likes emojis, right? He likes those little flashy colors. And so things. true. <laughs> you want to get picked, I would use a bunch of emojis, right? And and Jim would be like, oh, shiny colors, icons, I like. And he'll pick it's you. true. So that's, true. that's inside yeah. information based on my careful and studious analysis of Jim's behaviors. Yeah, the more interesting yeah, <laughs> it is, the better chance you're going to get picked. Yeah, the yeah, more clean on symbols too. Yeah, yeah, yes, more exactly. Clean-on yeah. Be, the better. I, I recommend the drumstick turkey drumstick, or you know that kind of thing. That kind of food emoji. <laughs> that's a great emoji. <laughs> that's bound that to get a reaction from Jim. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, that's how you. That's the best way to get picked. And uh, yeah, you'll definitely get a heart, and you'll hear your name. So, for sure. Like, if you just say, hi, I'm Joe from Idaho, yeah, I'm going to probably skip right by you. <laughs> you think? you got to provide some, some pieces of flair, no less than 37 pieces of flair. Yeah, you got to catch my attention. Precisely. Uh, so, <laughs> like, oh. so, yeah, uh, before you try it, just look in the mirror, have a good, long, hard look in the mirror and go, am I boring? And then decide what your next move will be. <laughs> That's right. Be willing to look within and genuflect, okay, or you know, introspect, or one of those flecks, whichever one should suit your fancy. And uh, it's the only way we can grow, you know, uh, as Brene Descartes oh said. I love it. You can always both flex too. That works too. So. Yeah, you can. If you really like the '80s, you can both flex. Exactly. You can both. <laughs> um, so, Eric. Who, who did I pick? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Wow. That, 
That was so much fun. Uh, Well, I have to tell you, Jim, we are starting right in the center of Europe, uh, where a lot of our support base comes from. And we're saying hello and sending out a big live long and prosper to Angie Taufenbach, who's saying hello from Munich, Germany. Angie, one of these days, I really hope to make it to Munich. Um, A lot of blood for me there, a lot of musical stuff there that I'm interested in, a lot of architecture. Sounds like a wonderful place. So thank you so much for saying hello to us. We're also saying hello this week to Daniel Razavet, who's saying hello from Cannes, France. Cannes, Cannes. I, I have to tell you that of can, all my like a can of soup. It's Cannes. French is the worst. Yeah, Cannes, France. Uh, who sends us a little French flag there too? So Daniel, thank you so much for supporting us from France. That's so cool. Uh, we're also saying hello this week to Janet Lati who is in Tampere. Oh my gosh, I have to I have to say that. Is that Norway? Is that what that is? I did not even uh, Finland, I guess. So Tampere, Finland. Hello, Jean Janet, uh saying hello to us from Tampere, Finland. I'm probably massacring the name of your town, but Finland sounds wonderful and they put out a lot of really cool metal that I like, I have to tell you. <laughs> Was long and also, uh, it's recently made the list, uh, I think it's done it several years in a row, of literally being the happiest nation on earth. Oh, I mean, it does look wonderful. Yeah, they make, they make it, that poll frequently, and they just did it like about amazing. two weeks ago. And, uh, and again, they're number one. They have the most happiest, well-adjusted people there. So uh, Jean is probably sitting on a couch right now laughing at something hilariously and <laughs> feeling good about him. <laughs> <themselves, so>. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, another episode of Star Trek. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Did a, a whole show on traveling, and he went to Finland, the happiest place in the world, and he oh met all these happy people. And uh, they were they were uh, doing polar bear swimming and smiling in the freezing water, and hiking barefoot in the snow and smiling, uh, climbing spiked trees and smiling. No matter what they were doing, they were smiling. And yeah, because they cool. had triples. That's the only explanation. They had triples. That was me, but they were happy. They were very, very. <laughs> I, very I think we happy. should investigate. Uh, I think we should investigate alcohol sales in Finland. I think that uh, there's <laughs> no. a correlation. I just think they have like good health care and like basic benefits, man. I think that's all it takes to make people happy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and truck talking. And truck talking. Truck talking. But we're going Excellent. to our game. We're going to shift our gaze from Scandinavia back down to South America, and we're going to say hello to Luis Franca. Luis, thank you so much for saying hello to us from Brazil, one of those big old nations in South America that I also would love to go and see. Heck of a soccer team you all have. So <laughs> live long and prosper to you. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Well, let's start off with Ann Miller up in Chico, California. I want to get up to your neck of woods sometime. Switzerland, Santa Rosa. There's a museum up there I really want to see. If people are wondering, that's north of San Francisco, north of uh, Sacramento. Beautiful country up near Montana. A very interesting museum I want to visit that I'm sure you guys could hit on what it is. William Sadie's. From Mars, Ohio. I tried to find Mars, Ohio. I could find a bunch of Mars electronics, but not Mars, Ohio. So I'm not sure if that's, that's the planet of the city. 
Rebecca Ma uh, Barnes Ma Matisse from Arkansas, USA. Hope you're doing well over in Arkansas. And Kevin Fox in Porter, Texas. Stay away from all the hurricanes, uh, Kevin. David, who's on your list? Yeah. I would like to say hello to Brent Harville from Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, near Chattanooga. <laughs> Saudi Daisy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to find out how did that get named, I wonder. I mean, there's a story behind the naming of every place in, in the world, right? How did they get that one? Saudi Daisy. Wow. Don't you wonder? Must be really a uh, wet climate over there. <laughs> that one caught my attention, and that's why he—that's why it's there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like something a, a, a an irate Scotsman would say. Listen, you sunny daisy. To the internet. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Next on my list is a top fan. I want to say hello and thank you for listening for, uh, from Anchorage, Alaska. And this is a top fan, Curtis Bryan, or Brian, Brian, Bryan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Sorry for uh, butchering your name, but yeah, thank you very much. And next on my list is uh, another thank you from Kristen Miller Q from Southeast Florida near Miami, or the Q Continuum, probably. Of <laughs> All right, last on my list, I want to give a big thank you to Joe Briolt from South Carolina. Paul, who's on your list? All kinds of folks, my friends, all kinds of wonderful people. To start things off, I'd like to uh, turn my wonderful Star Trek gaze to top fan living in the lovely land of Sweden. It's uh, Ingela Johnson who is reaching out to us and saying hello. Kapla, my friend. And thank you for being a fan of Star Trek and for uh, spending some time with us here at Trek Talking. It's great to hear from you, Angela. Sweden's a magical place. Absolutely magical. And not too far afield from Sweden, we have another fan in that neck of the woods in Worthing in the UK. It's Ella Brady who's saying hello to us. Worthing is pretty much... Uh, Directly due south of London, if memory serves. So just keep heading south until you hit the channel. <laughs> You'll be there. But uh, fantastic to hear from you, Ella, and thanks for being a fan. Crossing several bodies of water, we're going to move over to the great nation of Lebanon and say hello to Chris Salame Musali. Chris Salame Musali in Lebanon. Thank you so much. I always am thrilled to see when Star Trek is something that just cuts across all longitudes and latitudes of the world. It is a uniting phenomenon that brings us all closer together, regardless of where we live and where we came from. I think that one of the most fantastically appealing things about Star Trek is that, that appeal of uh, internationality and, and great diversity that, that brings us all together. So um, it just makes me feel really good whenever we do this segment, because it just reinforces what a global, thing we all come together and uh, share enthusiasm about. And finally, for me, in the wonderful country of Belgium, hello to fan Eric Van Kalster. 
Eric Van Kalster is saying hello to us. Live long and prosper, my friend, and thanks for getting in touch with us and being a fan of Star Trek. Passing it over to you, Uncle Jim. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you and kapla to Roger Brown, who says that he's a native of Pittsburgh, been living in southern Colorado since 1970, a charter Trek fan since watching TOS debut on September 8, 1966, in college. Wow. Wow. Welcome to the family. Well, actually, I guess Roger's been in the family, so. He's been in the family since day one. That's impressive, yeah. Yeah, that is very impressive. We also want to say a couple of top fan, Keith Washington from San Diego, California, who flashes us the live long and prosper. Right back at you, Keith. We also want to say thank you to Guy Lynn, who's listening in Tennessee, U.S. of A. And last, but definitely not, to Debbie Dennis, who's listening to us in Syracuse, New York, which is really awesome. And uh, I got to tell you guys, I was a tad later to the podcast than I like to be because today was opening day of Major League Baseball. And the New York Mets were playing the Miami Marlins, and the game was at 4 o'clock. God knows why. Usually they're at 1, but it was at 4. And, uh, it's because the game, of the snow. It's it got to be. The game uh, didn't end until 9 minutes after 7. A quick run and get everything set up. So let's go, Mets. They won 5-3. to three. That's pretty awesome. Woo-hoo. All right, guys, like, like we said before, you can head over to our Trek Talking NPR Facebook page and just leave us a little note. You'll see Live Long and Prosper pinned to the top of the page. Just drop us a little line. Try to be creative. Catch my attention. And uh, you'll hear your name mentioned on a future fan shout-out. All right, guys, time for some Star Trek birthdays. You guys ready for some birthdays? I know I am, Woo-hoo. definitely. Catch. Catch. Worf loves his birthday. Here we go. That was not a Klingon song. Okay. Every week we start off our Star Trek birthdays. By sadly enough, remembering those members of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we're going to remember nine members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us. The very first is actor Ed Peck, who, of course, appeared as Lieutenant Colonel Fellini in the original series first season (laughs) episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. Uh, Colonel Fellini, what a a great uh, part um, Ed Peck was an American actor who played many roles of various sizes in about 30 movies and television shows. He also made 75 different guest appearances throughout his career, among them a reoccurring role as a police officer whose name was Kirk on – anybody know? Anybody know? Happy Days. Happy Days. No. <laughs> ah. Good guess though, but yeah, he was on Happy Days uh, a bunch as a lieutenant poli- or as a police officer named Kirk, which I thought was pretty 
pretty cool. Um, he was uh, all over the movie scene in the 60s and 70s. He even did some voiceover work in 1982's The Last Unicorn, which is a pretty cool movie. And he made his last appearance in Love, Sydney in 1983. We lost Ed back in 1992 at the age of 75. Happy birthday, Ed. Uh, many remembrances and love going out to you and your family. We're also saying happy birthday this week to actor Philip Richard Allen, who, of course, played Captain J.T. Esteban in Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Uh, what a great role. What a great movie. He is known for numerous television and film guest appearances. Um, he, of course, appeared beside um, Buttrick uh or he didn't appear, but Merritt Buckrick, who played David Marcus, um, actually had a run-in with Alan uh, that you may not know. They coincidentally, uh, that Alan actually already played a character previously in his career named, guess what, David Marcus in 1977's Lou Grant. His most consistent work was on the short-lived television series The Bad News Bears, which also featured Catherine Hicks. And he did a bunch of guest work in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and uh, last appearing in a British soap about uh, the lives of Poles who settled in the UK uh, in London in 2009. So Philip Richard Allen, Captain J.T. Esteban himself, would have had a birthday this week. Happy birthday to Philip Richard Allen. Happy birthday as well to Peter Marco, who played Lieutenant Gaetano in the original series episode, The Galileo 7. What a great episode. And Gaetano <laughs> being, you know, one of those guys on that mission. Uh, he was an active, uh, had an active television career in the 60s and 70s, appearing in Outer Limits, 12 O'Clock High, The Fugitive, Hogan's Heroes, Mission Impossible, all those shows from back in the day. Did a little bit of movie work as well. Um, and then did a little bit of adult movie work in his life, too. Uh, we lost Peter Marco at the ripe old age of 89 years old. Happy birthday, Peter Marco. Happy birthday as well to Ron Sobel, who played Wyatt Earp in the original series' third season episode, Spectre of the Gun, Ronald, or Ron, as he liked to be called, um, <clears throat> was in the Army uh, back in the day. He actually enlisted in the Army in 1946, which is interesting, and he served two years in the 11th Airborne Division and spent a year deployed to Japan and then spent the next kind of 10 years of his life in various aspects of the Army and was finally discharged and then started his acting career. Uh, if you don't know Ron Sobel outside of Star Trek, you may actually know him and not know that you know him. He was one of the co-stars with John Wayne in that famous and amazing movie, True Grit, which I know Paul is a fan of for sure. Uh, I sure am, son. I'm a big fan of it. <laughs> uh, Ron had that face just known for westerns. He was in a whole bunch of them. Uh, and he was actually really good friends with Walter Koenig as well, which I thought was kind of interesting uh, long before they were ever in Star Trek together. His very last film role was an uncredited appearance as a judge in a popular comedy called Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. You know that movie. That's right. He was in an uh. uh, uncredited appearance. <laughs> Sorry about that. Frequent Star Trek guest star Richard Rael and Star Trek Discovery guest, act guest actor, well, not guest anymore, but uh, Oded Fair also appeared in that same film. So three Star Trek appearances in Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> Male wow. I can understand not taking not taking the screen credit. I can I, I can get I, I can, <laughs> He was probably like no. That makes sense no, to it's me. Okay. 
No, it's okay. Your agent's <laughs> like, don't do it. Just take the money and we'll just don't sign the don't sign the thing and just let's leave. Well, Ron, you were a totally awesome Wyatt Earp inspector of the gun. We all love that episode so much, and your face is synonymous with that episode. So happy birthday and many remembrances and love going out to you, brother. Happy birthday as well to we will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to serve as us. Resistance is futile. A very apropos soundbite because, unfortunately, just this last January, January 29th, we lost uh, someone way too young, aged 45 years old. Annie Wershing was lost to us. Um, she had a couple of Star Trek appearances. She first appeared as Liana in the Star Trek Enterprise first season episode Oasis, which was her television uh, acting debut. And then later she, of course, appeared as the Borg Queen in the second season of Star Trek Picard. Um, Annie was also very well known for playing FBI agent Renee Walker during the seventh and eighth seasons of 24, which I have to admit, I was a big fan of that show. Uh, even to the end, I stuck, I stuck, I stuck through and she was great. Uh, after her appearance on Enterprise, she made guest appearances on other shows like Birds of Prey, Frasier, E-Ring, and a small role in the 2004 film Bruce Almighty. Um, she did some other stuff uh, after she was on 24, including CSI, NCIS, a lot of cop shows, Hawaii Five-0, Body of Proof, Blue Bloods, etc., that sort of thing. Uh, and then later in 2015 to 2016, she got the recurring role of Lily Salvador in the fantasy drama series The Vampire Diaries. Um, so Annie, unfortunately, lost way too early to us. She, nobody really knew, but she was actually suffering, was diagnosed with cancer back in 2020, and then sort of lived with it over uh, the last three years of her life and just wasn't able to beat it. Um, so the Annie Wershing that we get in Picard was working her way through that at the same time that she was giving a killer performance, which I just think... Um, is so special and just kind of like adds another dimension to watching uh, that character on the screen. So happy birthday and recent remembrances and lots and lots of love going out to those still grieving Annie Wershing, who was just recently lost to us back here in January. In fact, uh, Star Trek Picard season three, episode one was dedicated to her. I thought that was really nice, and, and you know, it's exactly the same type of thing uh, that they've done for a couple of other Star Trek actors in the past, and I just think that's so nice. Uh, makes you know that everybody's united and thinking about that person uh, recently after their, their passing. So, uh, moving on, happy birthday as well to actor Kenneth Welsh. Who portrayed the uh, who portrayed the character of Senatal in Star Trek Discovery's third season episodes People of Earth and Forget Me Not? Um, he was a well-known player of villains frequently. Um, one of them being Wyndham Earl in the second season of Twin Peaks. That was way back in 1990, 1991. You may remember. What a great show. What a great villain. <laughs> he also played Dr. John H. Watson next to Matt Frewer's Sherlock Holmes in four Hallmark Channel television movies. So he got his British detective jam on. He portrayed President Harry S. Truman in the 1995 movie Hiroshima. 
and then was in a bunch of other movies, lots of credits, including Crocodile Dundee 2, Time Cop, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, The Aviator, some Marvel stuff, and 2007's movie Silk. Um, also lots of television guest appearances under his belt. Kenneth Welsh, we just lost him back in 2022 May, so uh, coming up on about a year ago at the ripe old age of 80 years old. Happy birthday, and lots of love and remembrances going out to Kenneth Welsh. Happy birthday as well to John Paul Steer, who, of course, uh, was the, act, the first actor to portray Alexander Rojenko in the fourth season episode reunion of Next Generation. Um, for the remainder of those episodes, uh, Alexander was played instead by Family Ties star Brian Bonsall. Um, John had a few guest appearances in television just for about 10 years throughout the 80s and 90s. His career was unfortunately not too long. After he tried out television for a while, he did move to, to Denver, uh, where he started a band called the Soda Pop Kids, and you can go back and listen to some of their music. Then in 2013, that group relocated to Portland, and he sort of renamed himself Johnny P. Jules, and uh, John would actually start a restaurant here in town that uh, was around for a while called uh, Harvests at the Bindery. I think it was a vegan restaurant. He was also a DJ around town here. Um, and his restaurant was kind of known for not using like meat substitutes, but for actually doing everything creatively out of vegetables. It was sad when he was lost and, and unexpected. Um, so John Stewart uh, would have had a birthday this week, unfortunately lost t- way too early in life at the age of 33 years old uh, to his own hand. Uh, John Stewart would have had a birthday this week. So happy birthday, John. And uh, we have two big, giant birthdays to kind of close it out here uh, for the remembrances today, guys. Uh, The first of which I'd like to call out as one of my favorite writers, of course, and many people's favorite writers of Star Trek of all time, Dorothy Catherine, or DC Fontana, was, of course, a writer and script editor an editor who had the the distinction of being one of the few people to have worked on the original series, as well as the animated series, Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine. Um, She had a few different pseudonyms throughout her career. She was also known as Michael Richards and J. Michael Bingham. Um, And you could probably back in the 60s why she would want to use male names. Um, She just was discriminated against like a lot of women of that time. And of course, she was a brilliant writer who had to find a way to get her stuff on the screen. Um, And that J. Michael Bingham moniker, you can actually see in the credits for the episode, The Naked Now. She chose to use that instead of DC Fontana for that episode because she was particularly unhappy with the way that that episode was forced to be written. But... D.C. Fontana's favorite Star Trek was, ding, Deep Space Nine. She loved it. Um, She thought it was great. She especially liked the show's strong characters. Um, She worked on a lot of different stuff throughout all of Star Trek. You can certainly go and look up her her repertoire of episodes. Um, To call out just a few, I mean, she she wrote Charlie X, which I think is a pretty – famous and um, early episode of Star Trek that kind of like set the tone. Um, Roddenberry just gave her the idea, uh, the day Charlie became God. And she ran with that and then she made the episode out of that idea. 
Um, she also did uh, Tomorrow's Yesterday, Journey to Babel. Um, she rewrote the episode This Side of Paradise after the departure of Stephen Karabatsos. Um, at 27 years old, she was the youngest story editor in Hollywood at the time and also one of the very few female staff writers. 27 years, 27 years old, I was like, I was barely together. So, uh, man, I can't even You were a mess. Yeah, I was a mess at that age. <laughs> but you, you fast forward um, to later generations, so to speak, and she, of course, co-wrote the pilot for Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint. She co-invented the whole L-Cars aesthetic and system uh, that we still see today in Picard. And she also got to put her stamp on DS9, writing the episode Dax, uh, which uh, did a great deal of backstory flushing out of Jedzia Dax's story, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, outside of Trek, she did other stuff like Babylon 5 and Earth Final Conflict. She even did a 14-episode uh, television series that I think Jim's familiar with from the 70s called Logan's Logan. Run. <laughs> Um, she did some stuff for video games, guys. She was all over the place. And I have to tell you, if there's one person that I would have liked to have met uh, before our loss of her in 2019, it was probably her. I'm sure she was an extraordinary individual and had many, many stories to tell. Absolutely. Uh, so that is DC Fontana, and our very last remembrance this week uh, goes out to one of the big three. Um, that's right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we lost Leonard Nimoy. It feels like yesterday, but it was actually eight years ago already. Oof, hard to hard to fathom that. But eight years ago, we lost Leonard Simon Nimoy at the age of 83 years old, who of course was known as portraying Spock. Uh, the half-human, half-Vulcan first officer and science officer aboard the USS Enterprise. Um, all over original series, movies, uh, made his way into TNG, even made his way into Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness, which actually completely rebooted his acting career. He, he took a big break in his acting career during uh, which he became a professional photographer. And um, after doing that for a number of years, he was offered that role to go back into the, the Spock role, did those two movies, but never gave up the photography. And there's, there's a bunch of really cool uh, stuff out there just about his photography that you should look into uh, if, you, if you haven't really looked into that side of him before. Um, in the early 1950s, he, of course, was in the United States Army Reserve. Um, eventually achieving the role of the rank of sergeant. And uh, it was in 2002 that he actually took that break from acting and then came back in 2009. There's a great legacy uh, continued through a documentary film by his daughter, Julie, and his son, Adam, and narrated by John Delancey, titled Remembering Leonard Nimoy, Designed to Raise Awareness, of, the, of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is what he, of course, died from, uh, from being, what did he say, something like a, a champion-level smoker for a number of years. So, um, Leonard Nimoy, do you guys want to say anything about Spock, uh, remembering Spock today? Well, I always bring up, in his, always in bring up in his birthday. If you really, like, to me, if you kind of want his biography, 
You need to go and read I Am Spock. His life as Spock, which is a fascinating history of who that man was. Yeah. And uh, eight years ago, the the day after he died, we did a podcast. And uh, you want to go back and check that out? Uh, myself and Ken did that because my my plethora of truck spurts that are here today weren't there back then. And we decided to do a show for Leonard Nimoy. And we did it the day after he died. And I posted that on our Facebook page. You can also go and find it at trucktalking.com if you want to. Uh, you know, hear exactly what we were feeling and reflecting on the day after he passed. Uh, you can go and check that out. Well, I guess I'll just say happy birthday and remembrances going out to the man who literally defined an entire not only race of people on Star Trek, but also I think like an entire concept of alien on Star Trek. Uh, yeah. And the fact that you can bring your alien on your ship with you and you don't have to be scared of them and yeah, they're kind of weird and yeah, their blood is green and that's cool, man. We can all like live together and do stuff together on the same ship. So thanks to Leonard for doing that. And it's, it's fun to really, I keep bringing this up, uh, but you know, fan expo Portland, we just got to see uh, Ethan Peck here and he loves talking about his interactions with Leonard Nimoy while he was sort of training to be Spock, um, um, which I think is really cool. So anyway. I think it's also uh, really good to mention too, man. It's just like, you know, we, we talk now a lot about how, oh, the guy who really, you know, has one foot in both worlds of Star Trek, you know, like in front of the camera and behind the camera is Jonathan Frakes, right? But uh, I think the, you know, the person who set the model for that is Nimoy. Because he had yeah. such uh, yeah. such success as a director uh, of the motion pictures, right? I mean, he really did, you know. Uh, I mean, just grasp the mantle and did a phenomenal job of, of direction that you know, and kind of resuscitated the franchise in a lot of ways. I mean, he really did bring great perspective to it, and you know, he had the same thing that Frakes does, where it's just like he he got to embody a character so well, and he had such respect for all of his co-stars you know, grasp of character that he made sure that everybody was able to feel that they had a place as an actor to explore their themselves and, and come to that. So really marvelous director as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, happy birthday and lots of love of, and remembrances going out to Leonard uh, Nimoy play, for playing Spock in Star Trek and Charles why don't you take this birthday candle away from me and tell us about those who are still with us today? I sure will. Thank you. Let's start off with Sarah Mornell, who played Ensign Carson in Star Trek's Deep Space Nine, fourth season episode, Starship Town. Edwards played Kyle in Star Trek's Next Generation episode, fifth season episode, New Ground. John De Valares played Wilson Granger and Victor Granger, the clones of Walter Granger in Star Trek, the Next Generation second season episode, Up the Long Ladder. Lark Bahalis played the role of 
Leanne in Star Trek Deep Space Nine Thursday in episode Life Support. So I thought it was interesting on some of some of that person's credits includes uh, not only the TV show but some of the later shows of Saved by the Bell. Never got into that series, but that did a lot of those. Also spent, I think, quite a few episodes in Days of Our Lives and Bold and the Beautiful. Orland Brady is an Irish actor who played Loris and Talon in Star Trek's Picard. Interesting note is she also played in the episode The Time of the Doctor. One of the doctor one of the Matt Smith Doctor Who episodes. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been the Christmas episode. I believe that it was. And she's also another little bit of trivia. She's not the first person to who who's a Romulan to have the name Laris. It's just that the other one was spelled with a U. So you can go Google that and figure out who that character was. But it's nice because it takes a little bit of work to find the crossovers for Doctor Who because IMDb doesn't list Doctor Who because it's not an American production. I know. It's hard. But if you go, but you can occasionally do some looks and trivia and find some crossovers. <laughs> she's great, remember. though, man. She's she's a terrific, uh, yeah. terrific presence. Oh, I really liked her as Laris. In the series, Adele yeah, I hope played yeah, I mean, it would be nice to get back to her because she was such a um, like calming force for Jean Luc, and actually, like at all the women that he's sort of like hooked up with over the course of TNG, she was the one who I was like, okay, this is the one who's going to be Picard's like long. Long-time yeah. partner, you know, so hopefully they get back to that this season. Adele Shepard played Ensign Kemi in Star Trek Picard's second season episode, The Stargazer and For Farewell. And this last one, I know some of his history. Kendrick, Kendrick Green, an American actor who played Mike Burnham, the father of Michelle Bur- Michael Burnham in the Star Trek Discovery episode per- per- Perpetuity Infinity. He also vice- voiced Mike Burnham in the animated Star Trek Short Trek episode The Girl Who Made the Stars. He is known for his work in Walking Dead. And I thought it interesting when I read this, like, Oh, he played Michael Burnham's father. Interesting the fact that he happens to be married to Shanuka Martin Green. That is her husband. <laughs> Interesting to say your husband played your dad. Oh, wow. Well, we're getting into a gray area here, man. <laughs> There's some like family program, Family programming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody's got their kink, right? But, I mean, whoa, oh, hold on. Oh, darn it. Mute, mute, mute. 
But I, these uh, are just thoughts that, that would listen. That, if you can have a, a crazy erotic ghost candle on your show, I feel yeah. we can talk about just about anything. No, okay, that's so true. there's that's you know, true. that's, yeah, that's, that's you know, Beverly Crusher gave us permission to you know, and uh, <laughs> all future and, and John Luke busted out the f word this year, so all bets are off, Fred. That's true. That is all bets true. are off. All Thank right. you, Jim. Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to take it that direction, Paul, then let's see who's on your list. <laughs> oh, dude, my list is a train wreck, but let's try, let's try it anyway, okay? There's all kinds of interesting folks on here. I do have some, some very exciting ones, though, so I'm, I'm going to have fun with it. But first of all, I'm going to kind of start off local because this uh, first person is an actress from Oregon, from our little home state here where crazy things happen, Brenda Lee Strong who played the role of Rochella in the Next Generation first season episode, When the Bow Breaks, uh, from season one, uh, the character of Rochella. Uh, moving over to uh, Picard, uh, jumping a few years ahead, uh, Casey King, who portrayed Icheb in the first season episode uh, of Picard, Stardust City Rag. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, this next one's got all kinds of fans here. Uh, big shout out and a huge emerging fan base. Uh, somebody who uh, took an established Star Trek character and really remade it in a fresh new way, making it their own. Uh, let's hear it. Happy birthday to actress Jess Bush from Australia, uh, the actress, model, and artist who plays nurse Christine Chapel in Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Hoping that they do all kinds of cool things with your character and your relationships with other characters in season two, Jesh Bush. Thrilled to have you in the Star Trek franchise. Oh, do I love this guy. Ray Reinhardt. Happy birthday, Ray Reinhardt. I am always going to be a fan of yours because you played Admiral Aaron in one of my favorite first season Next Generation episodes, Conspiracy. Oh, do I love Conspiracy. It's just pulpy good fun. Uh, Really great stuff. Uh, You are able to eat a bowl of grubs with conviction like nobody else, (laughs) uh, sir. You just sat there chewing and with your brow furrowed and just daring anybody to to (laughs) contest your actions. In there at Starfleet, uh, amazing, cool episode. Uh, loved the gravitas uh, that you brought to it. So, uh, but in addition to uh, Admiral Aaron, uh, Ray Reinhardt also went on to play Professor Tolan Wren in the Star Trek Voyager first season episode Ex Post Facto, which of course is Latin for "My agent got me this job." Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think that word means what you think it means. Well, you know, sometimes you know you have to like have uh, you know embellish a little bit to be able to uh, liven things up. That's what you have to do. <laughs> well, ex post facto just... is a. I will say that that is a Lavar Burton directed episode of Voyager. So, there you go. Is that the one where Tom Paris is accused of murder? Perhaps. Am I remembering that right? Perhaps. Perhaps. You're more the Voyager episode than me. Uh, <laughs> But you know, it basically it means after the fact. If anyone's yeah. going to call me on it, you know, yeah. so you know, ex post facto the show, then we will, you know, blah 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 blah. So, but anyhow, Ray Reinhardt, we dig you, uh, and it's cool, and uh, I love that you played these great characters on Star Trek. So happy birthday, brother! Very interesting one here. Um, we're going to say hello and happy birthday uh, to actor Caesar Belli whose actual full name is Melvin. 
Cesar Belli. Now, we're calling out Cesar Belli because he played Steve O'Connell, one of the young actors in the original series episode, And the Children Shall Lead. Uh, I won't say that this is necessarily why he was cast. I think you can guess why Cesar Belli, no offense, sir, uh, why he was cast, because it was Melvin Belli, the, the famous litigator and a trial lawyer who played the villain of that same episode, right? He was a sometime actor, but Melvin Belli was more famous for being an attorney, and he played Gorgon, uh, the crazy hail, hail, fire and snow, crazy angel that was in that episode, which uh, I want to not detract from uh, Cesar Belli's birthday, so I'm going to leave my thoughts about that particular episode on ice another time but happy birthday it's cool i think that as a kid that must have been really cool to get to be in a star trek episode both you and your dad uh at the same time i think that probably was a really cool moment uh you know it's uh, it's 1966 and uh, you get to watch your dad working and you get to go there and be on there as well uh pretty interesting uh would love to hear what those days were like i hope that's a super happy memory uh melvin slash caesar so uh Happy birthday to you. Next up for me, um, we're going to go over to another Next Gen first season episode. They are lining up like crazy to actress Danica Perez, who played the role of Ariana in that first season episode, Haven, that we uh, all know about there. And finally for me, I'm going to bop back over to Voyager and say happy birthday to Marley S. McLean, who played Mezzotti in several episodes of Star Trek Voyager and also appeared in the ass-kickingly awesome, transformationally cool, never-get-tired-of-watching-it science fiction film, Serenity, which is the bomb. Uh, Eric, is there anything you need to tell us about Mazzotti? Because that's ringing zero bells for me. Uh, Mazzotti is one of those board kids. She was one of, like, four board kids who were brought in, including Icheb. So she was, like, the young one. Um, and okay, she has okay. many adventures with them. Yeah. Okay. She's not as featured as, they, like, Icheb and them, but she's one of those kids. They never got a spinoff as, like, board kids doing something? No. Went down that no, that would have been interesting. I mean, I'm I'm not a big fan of the way that Icheb went out, so it would have been better to have, like, a little miniseries on those kids, like, doing something cool. I don't know. Yeah, I thought Mazzotti yeah. actually did have a comeback in one of the uh, latest episodes of, like, um, Picard or something. Uh, I can't remember now, but I thought she was mentioned or something. So, oh, really? Uh, I, I, have to go back I, I kept thinking that because not only was Mazzotti also mentioned, but I think the twins were as well. So I can't remember exactly, but I could be wrong on that. Mm, fair enough. Well, that's what I got. So happy birthday to all of you folks here. I'm going to about to pass the birthday candle over to Jim. But before I do, Jim, I feel I must threaten to wrestle you over one of the choices that you have. Covered it for yourself. Because myself is also a very wide-eyed, intense person whose people sometimes explode from the front of his head. I feel I need laid claim to this particular person, this chancellor, if you will. You did it. I hope. You did it. I hope. 
they get that one. <laughs> because we all know that Captain Jim saw things Klingon. He's a Klingon I, coveter, friends. I he keeps them to himself. Klingon. He will not let anyone else play with his Klingon toys. But so I hope that you remember and play homage to this chancellor with the disrespect he deserves. And we'll uh, leave it at that. So I've got three Klingons on my list, but I've got some other ones to go through first. First, you want to say happy birthday to Carol Selman, who portrayed Yarina in the Star Trek The Next Generation first season episode, Code of Honor, which was voted one of the most racist episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Yeah. You guys remember that? Ben. One? Oh, yeah, it's pretty uh, yeah. bad. It's the one that I tell people to please skip when they're watching through uh, season one. Just skip it. Don't even watch Just it. Don't. That was the one where we thought Tashi Yar was going to die, and they pulled the old switcheroo on us. And it wasn't that one after all. And here's a big one, which I mentioned at the top of the show. Bonnie Gordon, who does the computer voice of the USS Protostar. Star Trek Prodigy, you can meet her at Trek Long Island. And you can meet me as well, because I will be on stage interviewing her for you guys. So that'll be a lot of fun. Happy birthday to Bonnie Gordon. All right. All right. Here's a good one. Here's a really good one. Um, This is a really good one, by the way. Uh, This is the engineer of the USS Discovery um, who joined. Well, Stamets wasn't actually the engineer. He was the micrologist or the myceliologist. Microologist. What do they call him? <laughs> shroom dude. We call him a shroom dude. <laughs> okay. but, um, At least here in Oregon, yeah. that's what we do. You're a shroom dude-inator. <laughs> the shroom guy. Uh, at any rate, he wasn't the engineer of the show. <laughs> and we didn't actually have a chief engineer on Discovery until they picked this awesome, awesome character up. From uh, it was a season two on the Hiawatha, and of course I'm talking about none other than the awesome Jet Reno, who likes to listen to a little bit of Prince and a little bit of David Bowie, and of course she plays Tig Notaro on Star Trek Discovery. She's always at odds with Stamets. I love her deadpan, uh, you know, delivery of her lines. She's great, and uh, mm-hmm. I think she adds so much to the show. So happy birthday! to Tig Natero. Um, yeah, I'd like to see a series with that character, dude. Oh my gosh, I, yeah, can you imagine? A like Jet Reno your... series? I mean, that would be like out of control. I, I, would, so I would watch cool. the hell out of that. That would be awesome. Uh, and uh, the last one on my list who's not a Klingon, although she did play an awesome Romulan, I might add, um, was 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 an actress that I had <laughs> well, my very first Star Trek convention way back in uh, 1991. Uh, she's an, yeah. uh, an English American actress, and she's best known for playing counselor Deanna Troy on Star Trek: The Next Generation and all four TNG films, as well as episodes of Voyager, uh, the series finale of Star Trek Enterprise, which we're gonna forget. Uh, and she appeared on Star Trek: Picard and Lower Decks, and I'm talking about the awesome, incredible, the funny as hell, Marina Sirtis. If you ever get a chance to see her at a convention, please do, because she is just, she'll just crack you up. She's a riot. 
So happy birthday, Marina Surtees. I don't know if any of you guys have had a chance to meet her, but she's just a riot. I have not. She seems uh, <laughs> like she's got a lot of uh, personality, I'll say, which I am all about. I would love to see her live. And, uh, you know, j- just remember, people, Jim is old and senile, but he was not incorrect in that she was a Romulan in face of the enemy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you something else, a little behind the scenes. Uh, from my first convention, we she was there, and it was right during Best of Both Worlds Part Two. So it was a perfect time; all the stars aligned for that convention. And there were so many people there. We had to bring her in through the back of the hotel, through the kitchen. When she got out of the limo and started walking through the kitchen to get to the stage, this woman has got the foulest mouth ever. To hear Deanna Troy dropping F-bombs left and right, I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Um, and when she got on stage, turned on the charm, and off she went. So happy birthday to Marina Surtees. All right, guys, that wraps up my normal people. Now it's time for my Klingon. <laughs> the non-normal people. <laughs> the normal people. Now we get to some Klingons. we got some really good ones. Uh, we want to say we want to say kapla to Rick Rick Pasquone, who played Torrell, the son of Duras on the Deep Space Nine. Duras, son of Duras. <laughs> that was a great guy. <laughs> the little kid that Worf spared his life of. That I don't know the actor. I remember the actor that played him. This is him older. Obviously, he's on Deep Space Nine. And he goes after the sword of Kaleth. And at that point, I bet you Warp is saying to himself, I should have killed that little bastard when I had the chance. But he did. (laughs) (laughs) All kinds of headaches for Warp. Well, Uh, that whole situation gets very confusing because there's Duras, there's Taral, son of Duras, and then there's Duras, son of Taral. So you have to really, like, follow along and know your Klingons to understand which dude you're talking about. Yeah, you gotta know your you gotta know your Duras. And uh okay, so are we ready for some more some more uh Klingons? We wanna say happy birthday and kapla to Norman Snow, which doesn't sound like a very Klingon name to me. But Norman <laughs> Snow he's Unless you say he's Norman of House Snow. <laughs> Norman of House Snow. <laughs> Sounds like a normal and, uh, man to me. He's very he still normal. sounds pretty white bread, man. <laughs> he does, he does, and uh, he 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 was the Klingon that appeared in the episode, the TNG six season episode, the Rightful Heir. So uh, happy birthday to him! And the last guy on my list, uh, what can I say about this guy? Um, I had him at his very very first Star Trek convention that he ever did was in Albany, New York, and he appeared there with the late Charlie Cooper, who who appeared as General Cord in the best Star Trek movie ever, Star Trek V, The Final. <sighs> Not an episode of this podcast can go by. <laughs> and, which, by the way... Who's Charlie your favorite Hollywood Square, uh, Jim? Yeah. Is it Paul Lynn or, or Phil Stiller? <laughs> So yeah, and uh, Charlie Cooper 
was there, and uh, Carl Strickland was there, Barrett was there, and Chancellor Gowron himself, Robert O'Reilly, was there, and he was a blast and a half. He was so much fun. He loved the fans. He hung out with everybody. He spoke some Klingon, and he had some blood wine. He was awesome. So happy birthday and kapla to Robert O'Reilly. Wow, what a uh, such a great Klingon, the greatest of all Klingons ever in the history of everness. I love that guy. <laughs> He's like a Klingon that like somehow he rides that line between being the guy that you root for and being the guy that you hate. And you're kind of like glad that he, spoiler alert, is like dead in the end. But then you're kind of not glad he's gone because you. I'm not glad. I, I, I would, right? you know, I'd, I'd watch a Gowron TV series. I mean, he's just he great. You know, he's just so funny, and he's just, and he's, he's always even when someone else is delivering their dialogue right in some of those episodes right like he's like he's just kind of standing off to the side and he's you 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 don't watch the people delivering the dialogue you watch robert o'reilly because he's constantly doing something right or his a little thing you can't take your eyes off the guy he is just hitting hypnotic he's just great and he's funny as hell he's just great so any yeah. episode i will watch the hell out of man he is great i he is awesome and of course Worf, it Worf, is the, what was he, the assassin of, of Gowron? So. Yeah, everybody forgets that, like, Worf was briefly the chancellor of the Klingon Empire. Yep. For a few <sighs> short minutes, he was in charge. So that wraps up our birthdays. We had some really good ones. We had some really fun ones. And uh, you'll have to wait till next week to find out who's going to be on our list then. But, but <laughs> now it's time to find out what you guys our Facebook fans thought about the episode Bounty. And every week I put a question on our Facebook page on Friday, which will tomorrow for tonight's episode, for those of you keeping score. And I ask you guys on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being the best, what score did you give this week's episode? And remember, uh, if you just give me a number and nothing else, uh, probably going to skip you. But if you explain your, your uh, reason, you're probably going to hear your, your answer here. On truck talking. So, Aaron, so more, the more emoji, table. the better. <laughs> yeah, yeah turkey emoji. leg emoji. Let's not turkey forget <laughs> the whole thing. So, Eric, what did our Facebook fans have to say about the bounty? Well, Rick Elliott gave this uh, episode a 9.5 only because the argument of putting my daughters in danger is a fallacy argument. Blaming Picard is like blaming banks for having money in them when they get robbed. He knows the risks <laughs> of being in Starfleet. And a crewman. I think I know what Rick's going for here, and I can't, uh, I can't argue with that. John Francisco gave it an eight. Really good story. Character motivations are a little off. Like, I'm okay with changeling domination as long as my family is okay. Really? Our Star Trek heroes would really think that way? Also, it seems to be widely known the Federation is in possession of a Klingon cloaking device, but is in violation of treaty only if it uses it like a weapons treaty that allows a nation to build as many WMDs as they like but prohibits them from using them? Hmm, good point. Nice to see the TNG crew back in action, though. This is their undiscovered country. Ooh, nice, John. Jesse Crawford gave this a 10, and honestly, this is my favorite episode out of all three seasons so far. This episode has been so far ahead of the previous two in every single way. Dorada Pudo just gave this one a three. Fan servicing plus pointless plot twists without any deeper meaning. And St. Picard. Thanks, Dorada. 
Tim Lewis mm. gave it a 10. It was great seeing the old Next Generation crew coming back together. What expecting to see the surprise hostage at the end? Not saying more to avoid dropping any spoilers. Thanks, Tim. We're going to talk about that tonight. Please call in and join the conversation. John Forbes said 10 infinity. John, I don't think you can say infinity. That's, that's ridiculous. This season of Picard could do what The Mandalorian has done for Star Wars. Ooh, interesting comparison. Hashtag make it so. Hashtag this is the way. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Donnie Jones said a 10 with an exclamation point. I've watched it five times already just to catch all the Easter eggs, but the story arc and the direction the series is headed is phenomenal. Best episode yet. Some really mm-hmm. good lines in this episode. Riker to Wharf. I don't understand your world anymore. <laughs> Isaac Robinson said 10. Getting the old band back together is awesome. Jordy's daughter, or Jordy's struggles as a parent versus fleet officers are perfect. Riker knocks it out of the park, especially his interaction with Worf. Jack's relief over his disease. The old ships in a museum. I loved every minute. Thanks, Isaac. James Fitch, Fitzpatrick gave it an eight. A little too heavy on the schmaltz for me. Oh, that's fair. James Fitzpatrick, thank you so much. Joshua Dollar gave it an eight. The whole dropping the cloak to beam and not being able to – being cloaked at warp is dumb. Scotty clearly used the transporter during Star Trek Four. Yeah, I've got some beefs about that, Joshua. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. If it's the Titan that can't handle it, then why didn't they take the bounty to the station? Also, quite a good question. Also, there's a warbird and a battlecruiser there. So how does Jordy know it's the bird of praise cloak that was stolen? Oh, I saw the D7. I didn't see the warbird, though. That's interesting. Also – I would feel it's pretty safe guess the cloak Kirk stole from the Romulans is in the museum. Also, seeing as all the new ships talk to each other and that's how they are being tracked, why not steal a ship that doesn't seeing as they have a museum? Oh, that doesn't seeing as they have a museum full of legacy ships? I think what he's saying is steal the ship that isn't already hooked into the system. And that's a good point, Joshua. So thank you so much. You gave it an eight. Tom Allen gave it a seven. It was good, but it was disappointing with Moriarty. Ugh, Tom, I so much want to talk about that. Ann Chapman gave it a 10. I have severe ADHD. And this episode didn't just have all my attention, but it had me in my feelings as well. That's a freaking miracle all in itself. Oh, Ann, that sounds really awesome. Brian Kane said even more mm-hmm. Easter eggs than an episode of Lower Decks is getting to be a bit much, to be frank about it. It detracts from moving the story along. That scene with Jack mm-hmm. and Seven was entirely gratuitous. A good episode, but not as good as last week's, which was not as good as the week before. So that's a nine from me. Sounds like we might have some agreement here, Brian. Pat Reed Wright gave it a 10 plus 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 best season by far. Each episode, including this one, has unexpected surprises that are mind-blowing when you literally cannot wait for the next episode. That's a sign of a great season to me. And that this week, guys, gives us a fan score of 8.6, which I will say in all of Picard Season 3 is the lowest score that our fans have given an episode. So uh, we should probably talk about that, but not before we go to Charles and our cadet training.
Okay, after training, I got some of the Easter eggs. I will admit I didn't get them all, but I got a bunch that we go into. Let's talk about the Daystrom's archive. Oh, we see the Genesis device. Well, you can go back to Star Trek 2 and Star Trek, uh, Star Trek 2 and Star Trek 3 to learn about the Genesis device. You can go to Star, uh, the TOS uh, movie, Star Trek Generations, and how uh, Kirk, we thought, was lost. Even though they now claim to have, I guess, a body or some of the remains of James T. Kirk. Well, they took the captain who was on the bridge, and then the bridge fell on the captain, and so they had to take the captain and put him in the museum. Yeah, David will love this one. David will love this one. We can go back to TOS and do the Trouble with Tribble. We can do the Short Trick episode, the Trouble with Edward. Mm. Or we can go to Discoveries. Context is for Kings. Season 1, Episode 3, all dealing with Tribbles. I know we had a lot of discussion on Context for Kings because I believe it was Eric's like, was that a Tribble on his desk? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> TNG's Birthright. Part 1, Season 6, Episode 16. This explains the crow we've seen. As the crow appears in one of Data's dreams. Something about it seems familiar, Riker says. <laughs> exactly. TNG, Elementary Dear Data, Season 2, Episode 3. Ship in a Bottle, Season 6, Episode 12. Both episodes deal with Moriarty. TNG! Uh, Encounter Farpoint, Season 1, Episode 1. Where we hear Data trying to whistle the song Moriarty was playing, which was Pop Goes Louise. Picard! Et in Arcadia Ego. Part 2, Season 1, Episode 10, where we see the last of the of Picard's remains. Some of the ships that were seen, that were well known at the museum. The 1701A. Some people asked about the 1701, but that was destroyed in uh, Star Trek two, uh, Star Trek 3. The Defiant, Voyager, USS New Jersey. USS New Jersey did get a mention in TNG's Relic, even though it did not have a number. So we learned that itself is an Easter egg. The HMS Bounty. And one that Eric didn't notice, and I caught this barely, but looking around, I did see it, was a TOS Romulan Warbird. 
You can see the warbird pinned on the top of the hull, top of the hull of the ship. It's hard to see, but if you look carefully, it is there. Oh, so that's not a Klingon D7. That's a Romulan D7. Oh, no, that is a Romulan. That is a TOS-era ship. And, of course, the Treaty of Algeron. TNG episode, the Pegasus. Or in, and Enterprises, these are the voyages. You start learning about some, some of the laws, about the usage of cloaking devices. The Defiant actually had a special clause that they were allowed to use a cloaking device during the Dominion War only because they had Klingon permission to use this device. So, Jim, I think you've got some discussion points you want to hear. Yeah, I, you know, I think some of our fans had mentioned uh, this already, but I, I, I feel that they're, they're going, might be going a little overboard on the nostalgia, I think. Um, it's fun, and it's great and all. But I think it might be detracting from the story when they just keep doing these nostalgia over and over and over again that doesn't really move the story forward. And one of the one of the ones I'm going to point to is the USS New Jersey, which you just mentioned. Uh, oh, you mean like when we see all the Easter eggs at the Fleet Museum? Is that what you mean by the nostalgia? Yeah, one, one of the things. Yeah, uh, what, you know, was it necessary? Uh, I don't know. Fans seem to love it. And that's cool. But, um, yeah, I think it gets to be a bit much. Also, the museum. When they, uh, not the museum. Uh, when, they, when they broke into the Daystrom station. Um, I was wondering. I had to watch it a couple times to figure this out. But we all heard about Moriarty, that he was going to be a bad guy. But, indeed, he's not. And if you watch the episode, it, it, it finally dawned on me why he's there. Uh, data put mm-hmm. him there. Data puts him there because because Data's in charge of the with well, Data's brain, well Data lore before his brain, whatever you want to call him, is in charge of the station. He scans Riker. We see Riker's head show up in the bottom. Riker knows the pop goes the weasel song. Data knows that Riker knows that. Data knows that Riker knows Moriarty. So Riker's not changeling because the changeling would know that. So he put that there intentionally for Riker to pass that test so that they could get in, presumably to rescue him, I guess. We'll find out tonight. So Moriarty was, was never intended to be a bad guy. It was a test. Yeah, I mean, Riker, Riker. Riker specifically says that Moriarty wasn't trying to hurt them, that he was trying to communicate, that he recognized them. Yep. Yep. So I, I caught that the second, second time through. Uh, but in the museum, we saw Attack Tribble, which reminded me of kind of like, in aliens when they're trying to tame an alien and bring it back to Earth. Nothing good can come of this. Could you imagine a planet of attack tribbles that breed once every second just just <laughs> decimating a planet? <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, didn't you know. Worf mention that the tribbles were a menace to the ecosystem? That's why they had to get rid of them? He did, but they didn't eat people. This one would eat you. <laughs> <laughs> They, um, you know, they also had Kirk's body in there, and uh, some some fans somehow was able to 
blow that up and, and decipher what it actually said. And his body had been rescued for use in, in Project Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And apparently the body was still alive. Um, don't know how that happened, but apparently that's true. So, yeah, I'm not going to debate <laughs> that. So, well, you saw the Genesis device in there as well. And, um, you know, there was a lot of other, the M5 Duotronic computer from the TOS episode was in there, the ultimate computer. Um, a lot of cool. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying, though, man, when you're talking about, like, nostalgia, because it's like, to be able to have, like, a long list of stuff like this, um, it's great, but it's kind of like, you know, other than eye candy, what does it do? I mean, how is it, how is it serving the story? It is, Easter eggs are not writing. No, it's not. It's yeah, not, they are not yeah. writing. They are not story. They are distraction. It's it's kind of a fun thing, but but you know it's just but 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 it's it's kind of like you know. Well, I think the only I think the only question in this case, Paul, would be like, do any of these things mean anything? And I don't think the genetically modified trouble means anything. You know, the the whole Kirk thing could mean something. I mean, there was that frankly awful novel that I regret reading called The Return that was written by William Shatner that was all about his body like being brought back by Borg technology and stuff and I really hope they're not going to go that particular route but it sounds like they kind of are with them bringing JLP back with the Dominion and maybe a changeling so I don't know that part was kind of yeah. really well, I, but I, all I of the things say, they showed, like the like the you know legions of different callbacks that are there for like recognition's sake. I mean, I, I just you well, know, the Genesis I, two device. I would rather be spending time with in that, in that the Genesis two device seems to me like the one most likely to be part of the plot in the future, because it's just this incredible destructive force, as you know, a la Wrath of Khan. So um, I, that one I feel like was maybe justified, but all the other stuff was kind of like okay, whatever. Well, I, but they didn't steal that. They stole uh, JLP, right? So I know, I know, weird. but Genesis 2 was still on there. So it just seems like an extraneous thing. It's just like I think the it almost feels like the you know the production design guys just got carried away and they just couldn't not do it. I mean, it's it's weird, but uh, well, well, you know, because generally I think the episodes have been really strong right. these last couple ones, right? They've yeah. been yeah. super great, but it's just like they they I think there's just you can't resist to start playing with all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, apparently they also learned the secret weapon that the Dominion, or not the Dominion, I guess, but the Changeling now, that the secret weapon was actually Picard's body, because that's what Data slash Lore, whatever you want to say, was basically mentioning. And apparently, I guess that is going to have a impact on the story plot, because they're going to be bringing back Picard now. As kind of like a Shenzhen number two <laughs> or something. Oh I don't know. Hopefully it's all getting we'll very like Battlestar Galactica for me. You know, like the whole well, story has become who, who's who's who. Yeah. Well, I gotta yeah. say, I just I wanted to mention that I said this before. I didn't like the the changelings because when Jordy shows up, he's acting like a dink, and one of our fans mentioned it, and you're like, well, he's a changeling, and that whole changeling thing affects the way you watch the show. I, I wasn't keen on the changeling thing. I did love the music. And I, I and Paul, I did order a copy of Picard on vinyl when you sent me that link. <laughs> that's gonna sell out and like say if it's not already, it's just like that's yeah, that's I, a quick sellout, man. So how do you resist feel, that if you're a if you're a vinyl guy, come on. Oh my God, the music the the, the whoever It's really music, great. 
is outstandingly phenomenal. Every time yeah, we talk, and they pulled so yeah. many you know familiar themes from all across from basically across the whole canvas of of the motion picture scores, right? And from uh, the show from Next Gen. I mean, and they're beautifully woven together. A lot of familiar uh, themes brought back, and just really nicely done. So it's 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 great. So you, I, I'm right there with you. You cannot fault the music. It's been delightful. Really, really good. It's good. It's really, really top notch. Um, Can I, I ask you guys that, a question? I'm, I'm guessing that nobody's watched because uh, we're, we're not talking about tonight yet, right? That's airing today, right. and I'm guessing most of you haven't watched it. I haven't watched it yet. But just no, based on the on the bounty and the last couple episodes, how are we feeling about Amanda Plummer? Well, you mean the you mean the character or the actress? <laughs> The performance, right? I feel like um, I, I feel like what I, what I'm seeing feels super indulgent and over the top and scenery so, chewing to me. So there's there's a ton of mustache twirling villain stuff going on, which to me is not her fault. To me, that's the writing's fault. I don't think that they're giving Vatic the like Vatic to me is just very shallow doesn't really have a lot of meat there there's maybe a mystery in there a little bit uh but the performance i think is a result of the writing that she's been get the lines that she's been forced to deliver <laughs> like yeah I, I don't think it's necessarily that she's a bad performer i think she's performing the hell out of the shit that she was given but i just don't think that the vatic character has really been given anything interesting to do yet yeah i mean she's sewing stuff at the wall to see what works right she gives the character a crazy adolescent giggle right that pops up <laughs> in opportune moments right this weird giggle and maybe they think that's creepy and she's talking to these weird bird dudes and she's really kind of by herself and just i don't know it just it's, well to me i feel she like, seems you know, like maybe what it is is like well she's like manic she's like to me there's like she, I mean, there's been enough evidence in this show so far that she's under some threat and that her very life is in danger. And so to me, like, do I think her performance is over the top? Do I not understand why she's so nuts and why she's smoking all the time and stuff? No, I don't. But maybe it's just because she's a manic individual who's literally living her life on the edge of her seat and in fear of her life every second that she's alive, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I just I can't figure it out. It, it, to me, it's, it, it almost gives the feeling like they got her and she's a big name, right? And that it's almost like were they afraid to sort of direct her, you know, and kind of maybe say, hey, you know, here's what we were thinking with this character. Maybe dial this down a little bit or do this because it feels like she's maybe they're trying not to uh, run a muck. Maybe the, the maybe the writers are trying not to reveal too much right away until the end or something. Uh, yeah, I, think it, I don't want to judge it until I've seen the whole performance, right? right. I want to, you know, but it, I want to see where it's going and what the what the intention was to judge if it's successful or not. But I just like like last week, I was just like, man, what are, what are you doing? I was just kind of baffled by the performance. I I didn't get it at all. And just uh, well, you know, especially in the end scene with Riker, right? I'm like, what what's what's the through line here? What's the angle of approach to this character and what I'm completely baffled as far as like what her motivations might be. So, well, if we're talking about character disappointment, can we just go back and touch on somebody that Jim just mentioned, which was Moriarty. Uh, can we talk yeah. more about what you guys thought about him in this episode? I, I love him. Um, I think that's a great idea. I want, uh, there's one more I, I want to make 
before we get there, I think that they dropped the ball miserably and they missed a huge opportunity between Rafi and Seven because they went out of their way to build up their relationship at the end of season one, portray it in season two, and when the new showrunners got a hold of those characters in this season, they just completely dropped that whole thing. And when Rafi steps off the transporter with Worf, they missed the opportunity there to just reaffirm that and just, oh, yeah, well, hey, we're friends now. It's cool. And they just dropped that whole ball on that. That disappointed me just a little bit. I figure they're saving some of that, though, for later on. It's like they kind of show up at a, at a kind of an intense time when a lot's happening, right? And so I, I almost feel like they didn't really have an opportunity to really even connect. It's kind of like, hi, hi, awkward, awkward. And then they kind of have to go their own separate ways because the clock is ticking. Right. And, and they have to, yeah. you know, I just, it's so, so I figure that they're going to have, I think they're going to have their moment. Um, I think it's just going to be towards the, you know, further out in the end of the plot kind of a thing, but it's just, you know, cause they're focusing on wharf going off soon and, and all the different things that were involved. It was a very busy episode. So I totally hear you, but I just, I, I, I didn't get upset by it because I figure it's just the timing that's coming later because usually that's kind of that dynamic is like, okay, now that we've sort of overcome the threat or if it seems like, you know, the threat is so bad, we're never going to get out of this. Then everyone has that moment where they confide their real feelings to each other. And then if they really do get out of it later on, everyone's kind of like, okay, now I can actually really talk to you and have that intimate moment kind of a thing. So I think there's something like that coming because I think we we're going to see those characters, I think, continue to have that affiliation. I would hope. So I'd be shocked if they abandoned it, man. I yeah. hope not. And following so my audience, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to think he's more of just a uh, Easter egg. Yeah. 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 I think, I think his performance was delightful. I mean, he was really, in the short amount of time he had, right, he was really uh, engaging. I mean, the guy looks great. He looks, uh, you know, and he's still got a fantastic voice. It was so exciting to see him again, right? I was like you, man, but I'm, I was like, oh, Moriarty, how great. But he was so underused. I mean, just for yeah. a brief little one scene, and that was it. And then in the marketing, and remember the early trailer a few months ago when we saw it? I mean, they really, it was a big reveal yeah. that Moriarty was in there. Like, they're making us think that he's going to be, like, you know, the, the, the chief antagonist or something, and we were all super excited, right? But this was just kind of a, it, it felt a bit like bait and switch with the marketing there, Paramount. Probably. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. It definitely felt like bait and switch. We were promised Moriarty as a villain, and we didn't get that. We got like less than five minutes of footage with him. I, I was, I couldn't have been more disappointed with. Yeah, <laughs> and they kind of Moriarty did the same thing, was. talking up lore, right? We're really kind of trying to make us think that lore was coming back in an evil way, right? But now and, I don't think also, they're going to do that because I think we have this hybrid character. And also. Um, over a year, probably several years worth of Brent Spiner saying, you know, I'm not going to play Data anymore. Like, he's been saying that since the end of Season 1, and okay, you're not playing Data anymore, but you're playing the hybrid character that includes all the characters. No. So. Yeah, it's amazing guess, what those checks will do when they send you a big check. And the, uh, yeah, I, I think all those personalities can... inside Data, I guess he just has too much Data inside of him. Too much Data. <laughs> but he's dang. So the only other thing I'll throw out there real quick and then I can be, I, I'm done, but it's just uh, the end for me had zero suspense 
right? Because we've spent the last, you know, 10 minutes uh, seeing changelings change from people. Oh, I'm not the guard torturing you. I'm really Vatic, right? It's just like the whole, we've seen people who we thought were one thing change and they're changelings, right? So for me, there's absolutely zero suspense when I saw Deanna Troy there in that end scene, right? Because you're like, it's probably just a changeling that they've got pretending to be Deanna to, to manipulate Riker. So I'm hoping no. that he at least doesn't no, do no, no. that. As, as no, that's actually to... Deanna because it goes back to the beginning of the episode where she's like, find me everybody that Jean-Luc Picard is connected to. I know they want us to think that. I know they want us to think that, but it's just, it's but, so skeptical. How do you not have those thoughts when you're having everybody be not really who they are constantly, right? So for me, even if it is her, it kind of just robbed a lot of the suspense out there. And I would hope Riker would at least consider that and mention that yeah. like you know to, to at least you know say listen Vatic you know uh, it's just one of your henchmen right how do I know this is really Deanna you know or something because I, I would not be you've set up a story dynamic where nothing is at face value and I and the characters have exhibited that they're already smarter than that so he's got to be smart enough to at least wonder if that's really her or not right and not just you know Oh gosh, sweetheart, are you okay? And not just immediately start falling into that thing. So otherwise, the audience is kind of smarter than he is, which isn't always a good thing. So we'll see. But it's just this whole changeling thing is really uh, kind of wearing out its welcome for me in terms of suspense. You know, interestingly, where I find it's still very suspenseful for me is with uh, Jack. I'm very curious about what's really going on with him and who he really is and what's going on with his backstory and all that stuff. He's getting more interesting the more he's on. Now, what do you guys think about the fact that the entire Starfleet is all going to be, every ship is going to be at one place, presumably Earth, but we don't know the location, all at the same time, every ship in the fleet, it's got to be hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of ships, and and they're all interconnected through Wi-Fi, so if you infect one ship, <laughs> you're going to infect them all. Did anyone Never. Am I the only one that caught, thought that was stupid? Or well, Jordy mentioned it too. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, yeah, Jim. But the problem comes up is if Starfleet tells you to do something, especially when it comes from the admirals, you're going to do it. Well, unless they're you're, evil, you're, you don't. You know. <laughs> yes, but. Even when the evil admirals give give you rules, you do have to remember. Even our own armed forces, you will be, you will obey all of the rules and require requests sent down to you from officers high, or people higher above than you. So, high command says you're doing it. You're doing it. You don't question authority and say, well, you sure you really want to do this? No, that's above your pay grade. Somebody else made that decision. Yes, it's all it about does command sound structure. unwise, but that's especially when you've got, you possibly have got changelings in high command who may put them at risk. That's what they're kind of building up to. You can't always trust who's there. But See, this is why I would suck in the military. I would never last five minutes. <laughs> what, what's the advantage of linking every single ship together? That's like, like Eric said, that's like a Battlestar Galactic 
pylon taking over thing. I mean, yeah. Well, not... I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it in the guise of control from Star Trek Discovery. I mean, it's that same kind of idea that was in a. It was a way to like bring everything together and have it all interlinked. And you know, it's a it's a little bit of a story that is kind of played out in Star Trek at this point. We've already defeated the Borg. We've already sent uh, viruses to you know break them up. Voyager kind of like left the Borg in one place and now Picard has left the Borg in another place. So the the whole concept, like the whole plot concept of, oh my gosh, we're in danger because all this stuff's linked together and we don't like stuff being linked together and now we're going to have to bring in the old stuff that's not linked together to save the day is kind of like, well, yeah, all right. I've seen it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's the, like Skynet, the, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and now the day-saving mechanic here to take the HMS bounty back around the sun, go back in time. <laughs> yeah, fix everything. Well, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about Jordy and his daughters? Well, I, yeah, I, I disagree with what you said earlier, Jim, where you said Jordy was kind of a dink when he showed up. I mean, I thought Jordy was put in a super awkward position and that's kind of one of the things that I like about the writing like I can't I can't deny that there's a lot of nostalgia on this show but I also think that these characters have changed and they've been updated and in particular in this one you know Jordy sees John Luke and he's not like hey buddy what's up he's like holy crap you are here and you're not supposed to be here and I'm going to lose my job and they're going to come after my family because of who you are which I think is a a kind of recurring theme in Picard, you know, Picard affecting other people's lives in really profound ways and him kind of not realizing he's doing it. So uh, to me, the the three seasons of Picard is just as much about the butterfly effect of what the, what one person does in their lives and how it literally ripples throughout all of the people who, who touched their lives. And that, that theme's just kind of carrying on here in season three. Hmm. Well, I thought that Jordy was a dink, and well, but but I want to justify that because I thought he was a dink and he was very on Jordy like with his response. But it worked in the story because when his daughter is leaving at the end and she says, "This is my family," and he says, "They're not your family. We're your family," and she says to him. You taught me that my crew is my family. And that was the line that turned Jordy back from what the dink that he was written to the Jordy we all know and love. So that, that worked, but I didn't, I didn't buy him being the way he was at first. But when I see the story unfold, it worked. For for me, it worked. look Look at Riker and how he acted towards Picard when they first entered the nebula and almost had their ship destroyed by Vatic. You could say as you could turn around and save Ryder was being a dink at that point too. Yeah, maybe I don't understand the definition of dink because to me somebody who's being a dink is somebody who's being unreasonable with no reason to be unreasonable. And I guess what I'm saying is that I feel like Jordy was fully justified in his feelings against Picard, much in the same way that I feel like, you know, the Admiral who told him about sheer fucking hubris was totally justified in the thing that she said to him as well. And, you know, people could say she was being a dink. Yeah. 
and she was telling the truth. So maybe I don't yeah. understand what a dink is. <laughs> well, I, I, well I can explain I it very with you. Is that Jordy's daughter signed up to be in Starfleet. She accepted those responsibilities and the possible threat that goes along with it. Jordy obviously accepted that as well because both of his daughters and himself were in Starfleet. He himself was in that situation many, many, many times on the Enterprise. And to turn around and blame that on Jean-Luc when Jordy's daughter was serving on the Titan under uh, Shaw makes him a dink because he's, he's not, he's, he's not doing, he's, he's going against everything he knows and believes and signed up for and blaming it on someone whose fault it isn't. That's a dink. Hmm. Right. I think Jordy's just trying to protect his family. Well, we also have to remember because, because back in TNG era, he was a single guy who could go off and didn't care about worrying about what anybody else except his family, which was the crew. Well, they've mm-hmm. kind of separated, and he's more kind of worried about his own daughters now. But I also think it's interesting, if you look at Ready Room, only one is his daughter, and yet he acts they act like they're all related. She, uh, the actress who's playing his daughter, who's not his daughter, got invited to Thanksgiving dinner and got treated like one of the family members. Huh. So I do find it interesting, the fact that, yeah, they're not sisters, but, boy, they sure act like sisters. Yeah, they were great on the ready room. Yeah. But, um, so before before we run out of time, we only have about a few minutes. I want to get everybody's final thoughts and scores on the episode. And if we go over a couple minutes, that's fine. So uh, who wants to who wants to jump in and and give their final thoughts first and their score? David, you want to jump in? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to quickly mention the topic of Jordy's actions. Is that I wanted to make make sure that. This gets the cost because I believe the older the people get and the certain uh, uh, situations that go through, the certain circumstances that happen in their lifetime throughout that time, their characters do change. And people can get PSTD and completely turn around, you know, and be like totally different. But then, you know, memories of the past might be forgotten because of certain circumstances that happened. So I can understand how Jordy was the way he was when he went through this and he probably something traumatic happened. Maybe, um, I don't know, they lost a dog or something. I don't know. But uh, it's just the idea that uh, the being in Starfleet can be very stressful. And um, so, yeah, I can imagine people changing, especially the older they get and the more legendary they become, you know, they become more important. And so they have more responsibilities, so they forget about a lot of the things that they have done or told people. So it's just, you know, I think that's a pretty good reason to saying Jordy was the way he was. And honestly, I don't think any of these legendary characters throughout the entire series is or are going to be uh, changelings, mainly because of the fact that, you know, the older you are, the more connections you have to people and like what Shaw and Seven conversation was that's how you get them 
you have to trick them into saying something totally different from to, you know, and all that stuff. So uh, to me, I think that uh, the, uh, I think the changelings are aware of that and that they are going to become a, um, characters that are not legendary people. So I actually think, uh, Deanna Troy is flesh and blood. I think they actually captured her off screen. Um, they're probably, like what Paul mentioned, you know, maybe Riker is going to question the whole fact, probably. I don't know. I haven't seen tonight's episode yet. But to me, I I really enjoyed this episode. I Like I said over and over to you guys before, this is one of my favorite episodes. Even with all the discussions that we've talked about, the kind of like – bad and the worst situations or like what the uh the fans said about certain scenes i honestly think that this even though yes it's nostalgic a lot of easter eggs they don't write a good story but to me i'm the kind of guy who likes easter eggs not really painting them but you know the fact that <laughs> the fact that you just kind of go through, and I, I like fan service. That's just how I like Star Trek because, so I like New Trek too, but it has to have a little bit of nostalgic for me. That's just the way it works for me, and that's that's my Star Trek. So, to me, this is still my very favorite episode of uh, Picard season three. I. I like all the the ships that they've shown. Not all of them were familiar to me, yes, but um, uh, and all the uh, the individual theme music that they had for all those ships when they went through it. DS9, Voyager. Um, I believe they played TOS, but um, <laughs> I, I liked it. I, I, yeah, this is uh, this is the ice cream on the cake, I guess you could say, or cherry on top. <laughs> so, <laughs> to me, I think this. I have to give it more than 10, but we can only do a 10. So I'm going to give it a golden 10 as the best episode so far for me. And that's where I'd probably leave it. A golden 10. I like that. Yeah. Not a silver 10, a golden 10. (laughs) Absolutely. How about you, Charles? Okay. We talk about people changing with age. Let's look at war. Worf was always one ready to go into battle. This new Worf's a bit more of a pacifist. We don't know what's happened to him, but we know something's happened. He has changed, and he's a little more watching his step as he begins. I think all the characters have aged, and they're willing to be a little more careful. Jordy is being a little more careful. Riker is being a little more careful. I think their characters, we're kind of seeing the fact it is 20 years later, and these characters have changed in 20 years. I'm also going to side with David. I like the Easter eggs. I like going through and seeing what Easter eggs I can catch. This past episode, yes, I will sit there and hit pause and rewind when I'm watching my second run through, maybe trying to catch something. This episode, no, wait a minute. I'm going to hit pause. Wait a minute, back up. Was that the Genesis? I was pausing, going back and looking at a couple of different shots. I was like, 
I want to see those scenes like. And something we didn't really mention the fact is this isn't a Starfleet warehouse. Daystrom up here is storing all of Section 31 items. Stuff that Section 31 has gotten a hold of. I don't think Starfleet would have kept the Genesis device. I can picture Section 31 keeping the Genesis device. Hmm. I could see Section 31 having a genetically modified Tribble. I could see them, the ones going back and getting, obtaining Kirk's body, obtaining Picard's body. It's like, yeah, you never know what these guys, these people in Section 31 might try doing with objects. Because we even learned from Discovery, they had some technology, they had communication devices that would go distance. We go pretty good distance. They didn't have that in that era. So we know they've got some technology they shouldn't have. Also, it was mentioned before, we didn't get back to it. I think a Klingon ship may be able to do some transporting with the cloak in effect. But the cloak in effect is like a shield for a Federation ship. And a Federation ship most times has to drop shields to transport. My guess is they also have to drop the cloak to be able to transport because the cloak and shields are somewhat connected. So I believe the fact that they had to decloak to get in there and run the transporter. But I also agree with David that I was surprised thinking, yeah, why don't they just take the Klingon ship? No, they take the cloaking device. Like, okay. But we'll see what direction they go because we've got to get through these ships without other ships detecting them. I think I'll back up on back off on this episode just a little bit and, and just go with a straight nine. A ten, a, a golden wish ten, they would have a golden ten and a nine. How are you going to follow that up, Eric? <laughs> uh, well, I'll just uh, I'll I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, I'll just say that um, there was a lot to like about the episode. I think we've already talked about the things that I didn't necessarily like about the episode. Charles, I'm pretty sure that the HMS Bounty itself was actually able to beam the whales aboard while it was cloaked. Um, you can double-check me on that. But, um, but I, I think a Klingon ship may be able to do it, but I'm not sure a Federation ship can. Okay, yeah. Um, so anyway, I'll just, uh, I'll just give this one a... Uh, what am I going to say? Uh, Who calls your podcast? I don't know. Uh, I, I feel I feel like I want to go like around a seven point five, or maybe an eight. I don't know. Seven? Se, no. Stick with stick to my gun. Seven point five on this one. Seven point five. Okay. Well, Paul, we got the golden ten, the nine, the seven point five. Where are you going to fall? 
Well, all I can say is I have gone into battle with lovers many times, and uh, I have learned that. <laughs> we didn't really talk. We didn't really talk about Wharf much this week, right? Um, that was the funniest line for me um, when you were talking about uh, Rafi and uh, Seven. Um, there's a lot of creativity on display, right? I mean, a lot of people work super hard in this episode, right? Um, and it is. It's just they're, they're, they're trying to cram so much into one thing. Um, things I didn't like about it, oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, I, I'm trying to, you know, appreciate it as as a whole for where it's going. Um, I'm really intrigued to watch tonight. I mean, after dinner, when we're done here, that's the first thing I'm doing is sitting down watching it. Um, I'm kind of right next door to uh, – Derek, on this one, um, I think I'm going to go just a little bit more. I'm going to call it an eight, I think, for me, um, just because I, I can't do the half half thing. But, uh, but uh, yeah, um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, a lot going on. I, I do say we didn't talk much about it, but it, it's, it's really kind of fun to watch Brent Spiner work, right, when he's at one point where he's just kind of cycling through the different personas, Right of of his past and and you know reincarnated personalities, if you will, who are all living together. I just as a, as an actor, I thought he did a great job with that. I thought it was really fun to watch him work. Um, you know, it's it's funny to hear the explanation they did that. <laughs> Why does Data look like a uh, slightly overweight older man? One line of dialogue, like, oh, is he's looking human, he's accessible, or something like that. I can't remember the exact turn of phrase, but I'm like, yeah, it's Brent Spiner, we're all getting a little older, but you wouldn't think androids would, but okay, we're just going to sort of embellish that and move on. So, so yeah, an eight for me, um, I still think this is a really good uh, season. I'm excited to see where where we go uh, with the whole thing. Um, super excited for it tonight, right? Um, it's been really difficult to avoid spoilers uh, on the internet uh, as this show comes on. So you're really predisposed to try to catch it uh, as fast as possible. Uh, right. I, I love the Ro Laren episode. I think it was probably one of my favorites. I think that one was just knockout. It was really, 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 really good. Um, so onward uh, to see what we have to uh, watch tonight. Well, I, I I'm going to I've been consistently giving it a ten, but I'm going to have to drop my score back to a nine for this episode, which is the lowest score I've given an episode of Picard so far. I can't go with the golden ten. Uh, I'll go with the <laughs> silver nine. <laughs> How's that? Okay, <laughs> so, a silver nine, I think. I think it's a little bit too heavy on the nostalgia. I think they they need to back off on that and give us something new uh, and not rely on nostalgia. That's my, my take on it. So overall, what, what what did the fans give us versus our our host scores, Charles? Well, the fans went with an 8.6. The host went with an 8.7. Wow. Okay. Pretty similar. Pretty darn similar. Yeah, pretty close. All right, guys. Well, we went over a little bit, but we had a lot of birthdays, so that that explains it. We didn't get to talk about quite as much as we would have liked to, but, um, you know, they're hour-long episodes, and, you know, anyways. 
Next week, we're going to be talking about the episode which is on tonight, the one that Paul just referenced. Um, we're going to be watching that tonight. It's called Dominion. We'll be talking about that next week. So uh, I want to say thank you so much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet. Thanks, guys. And I want to say thank you so much to Charles for hanging out with us and Trek talking. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. And thank you so much to David, even though he didn't bring the donuts. Thank you, David. No, but I will bring this piece of information. I believe that we are not done seeing um, Moriarty. I think he's still going to be coming back. But thank you. It was fun. Well, we'll see. We will see. And thank you so much to our very own wine guy slash toy guy, Paul. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> it's my pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for the fun. <laughs> Always great to uh, converse with you and uh, – and uh, and trade perspectives is always super super fun. I, I I look forward to these Thursdays greatly. Well, I you know I like the I like the free the free form flow of the podcast, and you never know where it's going to unfold, where it's going to go, what paths we're going to take. And yes, there's some uh, some things that I wish we had had some more time to tackle, but you never know where it's going to go, and so that's. That's why we do it live. <laughs> anyway, maybe we can do it on Monday. Yeah, we we can always do a show on Monday if there's if there's something we feel that we want to discuss that we have that we didn't get to. We can always do a Monday show if we need to. Um, and I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim. Saying, please, everybody, stay safe and be good to each other. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Good night. Live long and prosper. Good night, everybody. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.